Hello, everyone, and welcome to Simply the Sermon from Bethel Lutheran Church in Templeton, California. This is the fourth Sunday in this beautiful season of Lent. It is for March 19th, and so glad that you could join us. My name is Russ Gordon, and I am the interim pastor of Bethel Lutheran. It's my privilege to serve these wonderful people here. And so glad that you could be with us. So just a few announcements before we begin. It is the Lenten season, like I mentioned, and we are continuing with our soup suppers and Holden evening prayer services on Wednesday. So if you haven't joined us yet, please do. Soup supper is at 6 and the service is at 7 on Wednesdays, and our good friends from Hope Lutheran Church are joining us, too, so it's extra a lot of fun. Then we have one more of those on March 29th, and then we begin Holy Week with Palm Sunday and the rest of the special services. So please keep a look at your email uh, that comes on Friday, and note all of those events that are your invitations to be a part of all that we are about here at Bethel Lutheran. We also have the Martha Circle, at noon on Tuesday in the Fellowship Hall, if you'd like to join us for that. And then Tuesday evening, the men's group, Kingsmen, will be having dinner and fellowship at 6.30. So that's this coming Tuesday. All right. So let's begin with our reading for today. It is a long reading from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. And if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up. So you can more easily follow along. So here we go. This is from John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud in my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind. 
and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that he, this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he can see, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Now here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. What is the world coming to? I'm sure all of us have expressed frustration, confusion, consternation, even anger many times when something senseless or tragic happens in the world. And for those of us who believe, we might even follow this sentiment with, what in the world is God doing? Now, I've been a pastor for over 40 years now, and like all pastors, I have celebrated the highest joys with people. That's a wonderful honor. But I have also wept with them through their darkest valleys. I must honestly say I have a long list of questions for God when it is my turn to enter the pearly gates, if St. Peter will let me in, that is. <laughs> my first church was in Ukiah, Mendocino County, in Northern California, about two hours north of San Francisco. I distinctly remember thinking, after the first few weeks, Say, this pastor gig is going to be pretty good. But two months into my role as a fresh pastor, I was asked to go to parents whose five-year-old son drowned accidentally and tragically in a pond on their property. A few years later, I officiated at two funeral services, one year apart, 
for high school seniors just a month or two before they were to graduate. Each died while speeding, losing control of their cars. On those occasions, the church was filled to overflowing with tearful high school students and families asking that age-old question, why? And in our attempt to answer that question, we limited human beings come up with the darndest and sometimes hurtful answers. I'll never forget the couple who lost their home and all of their possessions to a fire. They showed me a sympathy card sent to them by a friend trying to offer some comfort. The card said, The Lord chastens those he loves the most. The husband looked at me right in the eye, and he said, Well, Pastor, I believe the Lord overdid it this time. Sometimes we are left to wonder what kind of rules God plays by. What kind of God do we have? Jesus and his disciples, according to our story today, passed by a man blind from birth. Who sinned, Rabbi? they asked. This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Oh, what we humans will say just to come up with an answer to an unexplainable situation. It was common in the days of Jesus to believe that if bad things happened to you, it was because you or your parents must have done something to deserve this punishment from God. Conversely, if God is blessing you with health and wealth, it must be evidence that you are living an upright and righteous and good life. Now, I know some who carry a big burden of guilt over an unfortunate life situation, and they say to themselves, perhaps, what can I do? Could I have done differently? If only I had done this or that. And maybe some have a sense that God has turned against them. Well, that kind of thinking is called retribution theology. That is, you get what you deserve from God. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. There's a smattering of that theology in the scriptures. But the incredible book of Job and the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, not to mention the entire life of Jesus, puts that kind of thinking to rest. God does not punish us or our children for our sins. Oh, we know there are still too many children who suffer at the hands of their parents. Domestic violence is still prevalent. Dysfunctional families due to addiction are still prevalent. But the resultant sufferings are not the acts of God. Now, I believe there are two sources of suffering in the world. One source is the human factor. We break God's laws or nature's laws and we pay the consequences. If I were to get into my car, run a red light, and get into an accident, do I say, why, Lord, why did this have to happen to me? Well, of course not. I know why it happened. I broke the law. Actually, I broke two laws, the traffic law and the law of concern for the well-being of my neighbor. Now, we call that human sin, which, as some of you know, I spell it S-capital-I-N because I am right in the middle of it. I am the center of it all. The church has a teaching called the doctrine of original sin, meaning that from Adam and Eve all the way down to you and me, there have never been perfect creatures. We've all been imperfect, except for the one, Jesus, of course. Now, one follower thought that the doctrine of original sin meant that he had to think of a new one every time. Now, we may joke about sin, but much of the suffering that takes place in the world is caused by our deliberate or unintentional failings. Now, the other source of suffering in this world is built right into the natural order. Is there anyone here who really believes that God sends natural disasters to punish people for their sins? Or that some must be awfully bad folks to have such a devastation happen to them? If God does send natural disasters as an act of judgment, then why 
Doesn't he destroy the casinos of Las Vegas or the crack houses in L.A.? Or why doesn't God just send a disaster to destroy your house and mine? For we too are sinners. You and I live in one of the most beautiful places in California and in the U.S. Let's admit it, we are spoiled. Yet that does not make us immune to the coronavirus or high cholesterol or defective genes. None of these are sent by God to punish us. In Matthew 5:45, Jesus says, God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. The natural order contains both good and evil. So, sometimes, and this is perhaps the most frustrating part, there may be no good reason for what happens to us. Just because you are a nice person doesn't mean you have an automatic get-out-of-jail-free card in life. And yet we do wish life were easier, don't we? Now, some of you remember video cassette recorders. Remember taping programs on TV with an actual cassette, an actual tape. Well, years ago, a friend of mine was kind enough to loan me a videotape of a football game that I had missed. He told me he had removed all of the commercials using the pause button on the remote control. Well, unfortunately, I discovered my friend must have gotten out of sync because he ended up taping all of the commercials and editing out the football game. Ugh. Now, perhaps my friend's mistake is not terribly different from what many of us think about how our life should be. We wish all of life's moments to be an uninterrupted series of fun and good things without any problems. But we learn life is simply not designed so we can edit out the trials and hardships. And eventually, all of us walk through the valley of shadows. As someone once put it, good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. We learn, we grow, we mature as we deal with life's many hardships. And, and there's another saying, the brook would lose its song if God removed the rocks. There may be two sources of suffering, our sin and the natural order, but there is one source of healing and hope. Jesus answers his disciples by saying, neither this man or his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. In other words, Health and healing and wholeness are God's desire for our life. God wants us well on the inside and the out. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. He makes some mud, spreads it on the blind man's eyes, and then he said, go and wash. And the blind man comes back seeing. The neighbors say, wait a minute, aren't you the blind man? Well, yes, I am. But how are you? I don't know. But what I do know is that once I was blind, but now I can see. The people go to the parents. He wasn't really blind, was he? This is some sort of trick. No, said the parents, he was blind from birth. Now, did you notice the ironic twist in the story near the end? Who is it that ends up being blind and not getting it? The religious leaders, the ones who think they know it all. They become blind in not seeing who Jesus really is, while the formerly blind man now sees and comes to Jesus through faith. Sometimes we can hurt so much that the pain prevents us from seeing and believing that God is indeed acting in the world in a mysterious and wondrous way. Some of you have asked me, Russ, how did you become a pastor? Was your dad a pastor? No, I tell them my dad owned a hardware store in town. I became a pastor when I slipped through the 
cracks when God wasn't looking. But the real story is this, that my mom and dad lost their first child, a baby boy, who died at birth. It stuns me to imagine that I could have grown up with an older brother. But there wasn't a Lutheran church in their small town at the time, and they realized that they and others like them needed a pastor and a community of friends like Bethel in such times. So they started a new church, literally pouring the foundation for the sanctuary. I grew up in that church, and I could see how important this fellowship was to my parents and to many others. I was confirmed, baptized, confirmed, married, and ordained in that church, a church born partly from the pain and loss my parents endured. God used a very difficult time for redemption. He brings about something good from something very terrible. In just a few weeks, you and I are invited to ponder the cross of Jesus once again and, yes, wonder at such human cruelty and sin. But we also know that God works in mysterious ways, that this act on Calvary is meant for the healing of the world. And three days later, we meet at an empty tomb and we celebrate that sorrow and suffering will come to an end. Who sinned, Lord? Who is the guilty one? Wrong premise, disciples. No one, said Jesus. The right premise is that God can take any hurt, any heartache, any struggle, and turn it around for his grace and glory. It can become an opportunity for God to do what God does best. There is so much I don't know about God, but what I do know has made all the difference in my life. Amen.